So I wanted to teach you a very balanced message today on parenting. So part two, we're going to talk about become a godly parent. Part one was choose godly friends. Part two is become a godly parent. How many of you have a child um, or you've had a child and they're older now and, and you're, you're worried about the child all the time and you feel like you failed them in some area and, and I don't know what to do and I wish they would have chosen this or chosen that and you have this anxiety and about your child and maybe you did something wrong. You don't know what. How many of you ever battled that in life with your kids? Okay, good. I, listen, you're going to feel great in 30 minutes from now. Okay, you're never going to battle that again. It's funny. The Bible says nothing to us about um, whether we should put our children in a private school, a Christian school, or homeschool. The Bible does not tell us if we should let our children have a cell phone at 13 or at 15. It doesn't tell us if we should use uh, formula or breastfeed. It does not say if, um, how we handle if a grandparent is raising their grandchild. It doesn't talk about how a single mom or a single dad is raising their child. It doesn't tell us what to do in the Bible if our teenagers are battling pornography or addiction to cutting themselves, or drugs, or alcohol. It doesn't tell us how to uh, raise a child who's mentally disabled or who's physically handicapped. It doesn't say anything like that. And so what we do is, <clears throat> as parents, we buy all these parenting books from Barnes & Nobles, and with every book we read, we feel more and more like a failure. <laughs> we should have done this, we should have done that, our child didn't do this, our child didn't turn out that. And we have this image in our mind of what we want our child to be, and so we try to manipulate that child, even after they're old and grown, to choose what we want them to choose, be what we want them to be, do what we want them to do. But the truth is, I don't want my children to do what I want them to do. I want them to do what God wants them to do. And I don't want them to turn out like me. That's why I'm not the final authority in my home. God's the final authority. The Word of God is the final authority. I want that to be the final authority because I want my kids to do what God wants them to do. And so I have a scripture that I think is going to really, really bless you. The Bible doesn't have a ton of parenting scriptures, but the ones it does are, are very, very, very powerful. And I think it answers all of the questions, okay? So I'm, I'm going to read you the scripture, and then I'm going to tell you the revelation that I need you to grasp today over the next 30 minutes. The scripture is Psalms 112, verse 2, and it says, The seed or children of the righteous will be mighty on the earth. Romans 5, 9, of course, says, By the blood of Jesus Christ, we're righteous. Galatians 3, 11 says that we're supposed to live a righteous life. Even though Christ made us righteous, we should still live by faith or belief. So what does this say? Here's what this means is this. <clears throat> if you would stop focusing on your child, being like you want them to be, doing like you want them to do, trying to make them act this way, make them act that way, grow up in this place, grow up in that, and then your older children, honey, I wish you'd do this, I wish you'd... Stop focusing on your child and start focusing on you being a child of God, and God will parent your child. What I mean is with any relationship we have, with our boss, with our kids, with our parents, whatever, anytime there's a problem in our life, God is more concerned about dealing with you than he is them. And so if you would become the righteous child of God he wants you to be, he says, then I'll step in and make sure they become mighty on the earth. This is such good news because your child could be 30 years old, grown, and you can still have an effect on their life because God says, when you are a righteous man or righteous woman, I'll make sure your child is mighty on the earth. Your child can be eight years old, not doing right, talking back, whatever it is. You focus on your relationship with God 
And God will step in and he'll change their heart. God will step in and he'll give you the right words to say. God will bring the right teacher or the right coach into your child's life and help steer them and help motivate them. If you will focus on you being a child of God, then God will focus on your children. God's promise to my child is based on me being his child. In other words, what we're going to study today and what we're going to read is this. <clears throat> God is responsible for making his word come true. We're responsible for obeying it. You, you understand? So we'll obey what God says to do with our children. We won't have to ever worry about them ever again. Because we're doing what God says. He's going to take care of our child. Uh, I'll give you an analogy before I get into it. Um, if God asked me to plant an orange seed, right, an orange seed, and that can be, uh, if God asked me to, you know, to sponsor a child at Faith First Academy, if God asked me to plant $3,000 to get through as a seed, if he, whatever he asked me to do, I take the orange seed, <clears throat> I plant it in the ground. <clears throat> do I cause the sun to shine on the seed, or did God do that? God. Do I cause the rain to fall, or did God do that? Did I create the seed or did even the seed come from God? God? When I put it in the dirt, did I make the dirt or did God make the dirt? God. God's everything. Yes. My part is I obey him and he does the rest. If I plant the orange seed, he'll make sure it grows into an orange tree because that's how he designed it. Okay. So if I sow the seed of what the word tells me to do with my child, He'll make sure they grow into what they're supposed to grow into. Are you with me? See, this takes all the pressure off of us. We don't have to read, and it's okay to read parenting books, but you don't got to read 100 parenting books to figure it out. You need to start reading the Bible and figure out how you can live a righteous life. And God says, that's the seed that I need in order for me to make sure your children become mighty on the earth. Okay? Let me give you one more scripture before we get into our points. Deuteronomy 30, 19. I give you the choice. Of blessings and cursings. If you choose the right thing, if you choose the blessing, here's what it's going to do. It's going to affect your kids. If you choose it, your choices affect your children. So instead of trying to make them do what you want them to do, you need to start doing what God's telling you to do. And then God, so you can't you can't bring unforgiveness into your house because it affects your kids. You, you can't bring pornography in your home. It affects your kids. You can't steal from God. you got to be a faithful tither because it affects your kids. If you choose the blessing, if your choices are what God wants you to do, he will step in and he'll be the same father to your children that he is to you. You see, us and our kids, we all have the same dad. We all have the same father. Just like God is your father, he's their father too. See, your children, they're only entrusted to you for a little bit of time. He's their real father. He's simply trusting you to do what his word says to do with them, and then he'll do the rest. Are, are we okay with that? Okay, so three points today. They all start with the letter C, and whether you have kids or not, I promise you'll be able to receive something good. So point number one for your notes is this, correction. Just as much as your children need to be corrected by you, you need to receive correction from God and from your authority figures. I know too many parents that reject correction from the Holy Spirit or from their boss or pastor, whatever authority, their coach, whatever it is. They reject the correction that they want their kids to receive correction. If you can't receive correction and you're an adult, how do you expect your children to receive correction? Hebrews uh, 12, 6 says this, For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom he loves and calls his child. Our earthly fathers correct and we respect them. How much more should we submit to our spiritual father and live? If you're exempt from correction, you're a bastard. 
and you are not God's children. You know people, they call themselves Christians, and they're living some horrible way, and they think it's no big deal. Listen, they're really bastards because they're receiving no correction from God. And when you hear the word correction, don't let your pride swell up and think, oh, I'm so horrible and I can't believe it. Correction is like the GPS, right? The Holy Spirit is our GPS. And whenever we get off course or we take a wrong road, the GPS doesn't say, you stupid moron, I can't believe you did that. That's what your wife says. That's not what the GPS says. I'm just kidding. The GPS says recalculating. And you might have to go down a road you weren't supposed to go down. You might have to take a back road. You might have to do a U-turn. But the GPS isn't mad at you. It's just saying you're going in the wrong direction. Okay? I know a lot of believers, they have the GPS of their soul turned off. They just do whatever they want to do, live however they want to live. If you want, if you want your children to receive correction, when you say, honey, you're going down the wrong road, this is the road we go down, you have to be willing to receive that from God as well. Amen. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14 says this, Do not withhold discipline from the child, for if you punish him, he will not die. You shall spank him with the rod and deliver his life from hell. Can you believe? that whether or not you correct your child could either send them to heaven or hell. How, how can that be? And here's how. If they won't learn to submit their will to their parents when they're young, they'll never submit their will to God when they're older. In fact, a lot of you in this room that have a problem submitting your will to God, in other words, when God says do this, you say, I don't want to. See, as Christians, we do it anyway. But those of you that have a problem submitting your will to God, it's because you have parents that never corrected you. They just let you do whatever you want to do, and it was no big deal. They just, you know, they, they, they quote, unquote, loved you no matter what you did. That's great, but the Bible says love corrects. And so if you can get your child to submit their will to their parents when they're young, when they're older, they'll realize, you know what? God is a way better father than my parents are, so I'm going to easily submit my will to him. He loves me more than my parents. He's, a better, he's the greatest thing in the world. Of course I'll submit to him because they learned at an early age to submit their will to their parents. Proverbs 13, 24. No, whoa, 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 don't put it up there. Go back, go back, go back. Okay, sorry, hold on. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want y'all to say the rest of the phrase, okay? I'm going to say the first part, and y'all say the second part, okay? I need everybody to answer, okay? Ready? Spare the rod. Do you know who wrote that? Satan. That is not in the Bible. See, we like to spoil our children. There's nothing wrong with it. God spoils us. When you spear the rod, you do not spoil your child. Satan wants you to think you are, but you don't. Proverbs 13, 24 says this. Whoever spares his rod of discipline hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines diligently and early on. One translation says, if you don't punish your children, you do not love them. If you do love them, you will correct them. Now, we never spank in anger. We never leave a mark. We, and, and never, ever correct your children in public. Never correct them in front of other kids or other... When, when some, some parents, they'll correct their kids in front of me. I want to slap the parent. Because all that is is shame. The devil shames us. Do you want everyone knowing your sin? Then why would you expose your child's sin to others? Don't ever correct them. But the children who don't get spanked, the children who aren't corrected... Those are the kids that ruin the movie for everybody else in the theater trying to enjoy it. <clears throat> the children that don't get spanked and they don't have this, they're the ones that ruin the church service for everybody else trying to pay attention and listen. Y'all, I wish I didn't come to church today. Some of your kids are probably thinking that too. The children that don't get spanked, they ruin the restaurant for everybody else in the dining room. Now, 
I'm not even going to tell this story, but my son Eli's here for Father's Day. He played drums for us today. And they love to laugh about the time that I spanked one of the kids and I used a golf club. Now listen, hold on. It was a 12-inch plastic golf club. And when I spanked them, it broke. That's how thick. But when they tell the story to the people, they say, remember when dad hit you with a golf club? Okay, I didn't hit you with a golf club. I spanked you with a little 12-inch golf club. Anyway, spank them for heaven's sake. Spank them. So years ago, in the largest game reserve in South Africa, they noticed that there was a part where the elephants were overpopulating. And they could not, they didn't have enough um, um, space and food to feed the elephants in that section. So they took 300 of the baby elephants and they moved them 100 miles away to another national reserve park. Um, at this other park, uh, the, the dominant species was the white rhino, the white rhinoceros. And the white rhino has no natural predators. Nothing stalks it. Not a lion, not a bear, not a tiger, nothing. It's too powerful. So they thought it would be no big deal to take 300 of these baby elephants, put them in this other um, national park, let them grow up, and then they can populate and so forth, and then we'll you know, keep growing, whatever. That would be no big deal. But after time, they started finding in the brush dead rhinoceroses. The rhinoceros, dead white rhinos all through the brush. They thought, how did this happen? There were no claw marks. There were no lion, tiger, you know, nothing like that. So they set up surveillance cameras. Much to their surprise, they discovered that these baby elephants, the ones without a mother or father to instruct them and lead them and create them, they had formed gangs. They would surround the rhinos and kill them just for sport. Now listen. It's not even in the elephant's nature to do that with the rhino. Yet when left by themselves, without a parent or a guardian or someone to tell them, this isn't how we act, without that, they do things that's not even in their God-given nature to do. Do you know how many kids, and you see them at public, you see them all, they're things that's not even in their God-given nature, and they're doing it because no one says, this is wrong. Because no one says, we don't do that. You know, David in the Bible, he's my man. I love David. David committed adultery and murder. And you know what? He repented and God said, okay, I forget it. You did it once. I understand. I forget it. You asked for it. It's over. The thing that God got most upset with David was that he did not discipline his children. And it's why he was living in sin, you know, because it was a continual thing. David just continued. Every time his kids did something wrong, he didn't discipline. In fact, it got to the point where one of his sons raped a girl. Raped a woman. And here's what it says in 2 Samuel 13, 21. It says, when King David heard of all this, he became angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him and he did not want to make him unhappy. Because isn't that so sweet? He raped a girl, but we're not going to do anything about it because I don't want you to be unhappy. Because I love you. You're my firstborn. Why don't you take your baby to the nursery? We don't want him to be unhappy. Why don't you make your teenager go to youth group? We don't want him to be unhappy. They just aren't happy. Why don't you make them clean their room? Because they'll be unhappy. Do you know what happens to a child that is not told to do the things that make you, if, even though it makes you unhappy, you do it anyway because God says to do it. You know what happens to a child that, that does not have a parent like that? Proverbs 30, 11 through 15. There's a generation that curses its father, does not bless its mother, and is pure in... Here's, here's how you can tell them. It's not a sin. 
We're pure in our own eyes. Well, this is wrong. No, it's wrong. It's not wrong because it, we, we just want to be happy. It just makes us happy. Whatever makes you happy is okay. As long as we're happy, it's okay. They're pure in their own eyes. Their teeth are like swords, and the leech has two daughters. Watch this. Give me and give me more. They're never satisfied. They never say, thank you. That's enough. It starts with, it's not sin, and it ends with entitlement. It starts with, that's not a sin. Well, the Bible says it's a sin. No, it's not. We want to be happy. And here's what it ends with. Give me, give me, give me. I'm never satisfied. Give me something I didn't earn. Give me something I don't deserve. Just give me, give me, give me. Listen, if they live under your roof, what kind of parent are you? If they live under your roof and you can't make them come to church and you pay the mortgage, for heaven's sakes, if you won't do your part, God can't do his part. Do you want God to make your seed mighty on the earth? Then discipline. Correct them. <laughs> for heaven's sake, spank them. Bring them to me. I'll spank them. Point number two, Chaldeans. Now, um, the Chaldeans, and, and this is going to take a lot of brain power to understand this, so stay with me, okay? I, I need you to really listen so you get the point of, of point number two. Chaldeans, they are a type of demon. Um, it's a demon that starts with parents that live an undisciplined lifestyle, and it gets into their children. The children grow up, and it gets into their children. The children, and on, on, and the demon never gets stopped, and I'm going to tell you about it. Chaldeans, when you're reading your Bible, they're synonymous with the Phoenicians, the Syrians, and the Babylonians. It's all the same type of demons, okay? Um, let me give you an that. Let me kind of help you understand. Um, if I were to talk about the KKK or white supremacists or Nazis, okay, they're different people, but it's the same demon. Are you with me? You understand? So when you read the Bible, Chaldeans, Phoenicians, Syrians, Babylonians, one conquered the other, and one conquered, but the demons still stayed in the people. So you're with me. So in Acts, Paul, Paul says in the New Testament, he says, watch out for the Chaldeans. He's talking to Christians. Watch out for Chaldeans. Well, he's not talking about the people because the people, the Chaldeans, were destroyed, utterly destroyed in 539 B.C., right? 600 years before Paul, they were destroyed. So when Paul says watch out for them, he's not saying watch out for the people. He's saying watch out for that demon. The demon's still around. And it's a demon, and I'll show you in a little bit, that starts with the parent and just keeps getting into the child because of the way the parent is living their life, okay? Um, in fact, Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.6, and it says this. Um, it says, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, whichever your Bible says, same people, it says that they're a bitter nation which marches through the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. That's what demons want to do. They want to possess dwelling places that aren't theirs. In other words, you have a little child, and God's trying to get a hold of that child, and the demon wants to go into the child because the demon does not yet belong to them. Okay, so you with me? In this case, the demon was unforgiveness. Like I said earlier, you parents, you can't live in your house with bitterness in your heart and expect the issue. The Bible says the issues of life come out of your heart. It affects your children. How you live affects your children, either good or bad. So you can't bring pornography in your home and expect it not to affect your children. You can't watch whatever movie you want to watch even after the kids are asleep. Well, they're asleep. They're, they won't, they're no big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. You're opening the door to Satan. Okay? So um, the Chaldeans are also synonymous with witchcraft. And I want to show you how. Daniel 2 verse 2 says this. The king gave a command to all the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. Let me show you what a magician does. Okay? A magician likes doing a card trick. They're telling you to look over in this direction while they deceive you over in this direction. 
The, the real play is over here where you're not looking. That's what a magician does. They want you to look over. The, 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 what this demon wants you to do is the demon wants you to think, hey, it's just a Ouija board. I got it at Target, right? No big deal. Yeah, you're looking over here, but the demon's coming in over here. I, I can watch this movie. It's just a little bit of, you know, there's some demon stuff in witchcraft or whatever. No big deal. Yeah, you're looking at the movie, but the demon's coming in over here. I can get my, my palm read by sister so-and-so or call 1-800-Dion-Warwick and find out about my dead relatives or whatever. Yeah, you're talking to Dion Warwick over here. Is that her name? Was that her name? That was her name back in the 90s. Remember those TV commercials that came on in the 90s? You know, and, and you're, and, but the demon's coming in over here, okay? So stay with me. So I'm going to show you how the demons, what they're after, what these demons are after, okay? Daniel 1, 1 through 4. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem. In other words, they come into your house, into your schools, into your workplace, watch, and besiege it, and they steal, because demons are thieves. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They took things that belong in church. They took the articles of the house of God. Now, let's read what they took that belongs in church. The king instructed Ashpenaz to bring some of the Israelite children, specifically the young men who were handsome, intelligent, Quick, so let's just stop right there. I would have been kidnapped. I want to make sure we write that in our notes, okay? They would have busted the door down to get to me. We got to have your ball! Okay. Who had the ability to serve. And here's how they possess your children. Ready? They teach them with the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. If they can just teach your kid the wrong thing. If they can just spend eight hours a day pouring the wrong information into your child, they got them. And, then the, and, you, and you know what? Then the child grows up and passes it to your grandchildren. And they grow up and they pass it to your great-grandchildren. And I'll tell you, what one generation does in private, the next generation does in public. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. Listen, what we, what we, what we called sin behind closed doors last generation, now it's open and public and it's no big deal. If they can just pour the wrong information into your child then they got them like where they want them now the, I, I, all this was to get to a certain story all this was to get to this story okay and this is one of the greatest converse the most amazing conversation i've ever seen um with, with parabolic language between jesus and somebody else okay this will blow your mind once you get it in mark 7 24 a woman whose younger daughter had an unclean spirit we'll see what we'll see another word for that unclean spirit in a second she heard about Jesus, and she came and fell at his feet. And this is very important. The Bible tells us this. The woman was a Greek Syrophoenician. Now, it's very important you realize this. She was half Syrian, half Phoenician, okay? Syrians had a demon of pride. Oh, it's what we do is not wrong. We can do whatever we want to do. You know, we're in control of our life, whatever makes you happy. And then the Phoenicians were witchcraft, okay? So she dabbled in things. She, it started with a crystal ball, then it got to dressing up like a witch. And you know the word hallow uh, means to worship. And the Bible says the only thing that is hallowed is the name of God. And so when you dress up like witches and warlocks and do your thing on Halloween, you're just, all you're doing is bringing demons right into your house. And you wonder why your kids are sick or you wonder why they're depressed or you wonder why they get bullied or you wonder, what, you wonder why these things happen to them in their life. It's because you open the door as the parent. Did you really think that you could dabble in that stuff and it not affect your child? Here's the good news. If you step out of that, I don't care if they're 40 years old, God says the seed of the righteous will be mighty on the earth. So you can make a decision today that will bless your kids, even if they don't live with you. 
Okay? So Jesus has this conversation. She's Syrophoenician, and she kept asking him, here's what we, here's the unclean spirit, to cast the demon out of her daughter. Um, I want you to picture, you have a kid, a little first, second grade child, and, um, and everything's going fine, and then one day you and your spouse, that night, y'all decide to read a book together in bed that's about, you know, some kind of spells or... Um, you know, some kind of other religion or whatever it is. You got a, or you bought a Buddha doll at a, at a garage sale and you put it in your home, whatever it is. The next day your child comes home and says, I got a headache. I, I just, I don't know, I've had a headache all day. You give them Tylenol, nothing works. They go to school the next day and now they're saying, I, I don't have any friends and, and they're calling me names and, and, and you say, oh honey, it's going to be okay. You just need to have confidence and you try to talk. Then that night they're having night terrors and bad dreams. And then the next day, they're, they're, getting, they're, they're using profanity, words they've never, you never thought would come out of their mouth. And on and on it goes, because the parents thought, we can do what we want to, it won't affect my child. This Greek Syrophoenician thought, I can do whatever I want to, I can dabble in witchcraft, I can watch whatever I want, read, I can listen to whatever I want to. And she realized it did affect my daughter. She realized that so much she brought, her, she brought the daughter to Jesus. Now, you're about to see a conversation that you're not going to understand but once I explain it to you, it, hopefully you'll remember it for the rest of your life, okay? Jesus says to her in verse 27, he says this, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. He basically called the woman a little dog. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. He said to her, Because you said that, the demon has left your daughter. Now, um, let me tell you what this means. So you never need a person to interpret the Bible for you. People do not interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. So whenever you see language you don't understand, like dogs and children, you simply look through the Bible, and the Bible explains itself. You understand? It has to. It would be foolish for God to write a book that needed a man to explain it. The Bible explains itself. So in Revelation 22, 14 and Philippians 3, 2, it tells us what dogs are. Dogs are people who know Jesus and they believe in Jesus, but they have not submitted their life to him. They know the Christian lingo. They've been to church. They know Jesus is, is a great savior of the world, but they do not see him as the Lord of their life. Are you with me? Children are believers. They're believers. So this woman says, listen, my child's got a demon. Jesus, do something. And Jesus says this, um, demons coming out of people being deliver deliverance is for believers. Deliverance is for people that Jesus is the Lord of their life, and I'll deliver them. And then he calls her a dog because a dog is somebody who knows better, but they won't submit their life. And she says to him this, she says, Jesus, you know, you're right. And I know I'm a dog. I know I believe in you, but I will not submit my life to you. But I also know this about you, Jesus. I know that your word says you'll never turn down a parent who has a child in need. I know, Jesus, I know you well enough. I don't have to do the right thing. I know if I bring my child to you, you'll take care of my child. And Jesus said, because you know that, you're right. I'm going to take care of your child. Here's the point. If you won't come to Jesus for yourself, at least bring your children to Jesus. If you won't serve God for yourself, at least bring your children to serve God. If you won't make him the Lord of your life for you, at least push your children to do so. That's the very least you can do. Because your life always affects theirs. 
There's a, a story Billy Graham told years ago. He said he was doing one of his big stadium meetings, you know, with, you know, 100,000 people. And um, huge. And, 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 and one of the biggest arenas in America, he was doing this. And the, the, the forecast called for rain. So he thought, oh, should I cancel it? I don't know. And he prayed. Well, they didn't cancel it. He thought, I don't know if anyone's going to come out. The place was packed. Everybody had umbrellas, but it was packed. I mean, packed. While he's preaching his sermon, he tells the story. While I'm preaching, he says, I kept thinking in my mind, do I have an altar call or not? I mean, it's raining. The, the, the field is sopping wet. Is anybody even going to come down in the rain? At the end of his sermon, like normal, he said, okay, we're going to have an altar call. If you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, you, you come down to the altar. And he said he was blown away at hundreds and thousands of people walking in the sopping rain, coming down to the front. The music's playing, you know, as he's waiting for everybody to come down. And he said out the corner of his eye, he saw this, this man coming down the stadium. He said this guy had to be seven foot tall, 300 pounds. He said it was the most masculine, big, strong man he had ever seen. He said he noticed there was a little boy, right, you know, nine, ten years old, walking behind him. It had to be the guy's son. When they got down to the field, he thought for sure that the boy would stand next to his father and they would walk together to the front of the altar. But they didn't. The boy stayed behind his dad. He thought, that's so weird. So Billy Graham said, as the music's going, he's walking across the stage just to get a better look at what was going on. And when he finally saw behind the man, he noticed that the little boy, with every step that he took, he was trying to reach his father's footstep in the rain. And when his father would come out of the hole, then he'd put his foot in his father's footstep and he followed him all the way down to the front altar. Listen, if you'll come to Jesus, your kids will follow you one after the other. I don't care if they're on the wrong path today. You just keep coming down week after week. Do whatever it takes. And I promise, I promise you, God will take care of your kids. Point number three, real quick point, is this church. They have to have church. Perhaps you, you might not think you need it. They need it. They need it when you're not feeling good. They need it when you don't feel like coming. They need it when you want to sleep in because it's your only day off. Your children need it. Hebrews 10.25, do not give up the habit of worshiping together as believers. You know, 90% of every child that was forced to go to church when they were younger is serving God today as an adult. The other 10%, they will end up serving God as an adult. Because Proverbs 22, 6 says this, If you train a child up in the way he should go, when he's old, he won't depart. That's a promise from God. I heard about this evangelist. He told how when he was a child, he had a major drug problem. He said, my parents drugged me to Sunday school. They drugged me to church. They drugged me to youth group. He said, and those drugs are still flowing through my veins, and they affect everything that I do to this day. Last story, and I'll let you go. It's a true story. It took place just a few years ago in Texas. This little eight-year-old girl, she had been extremely sick for some time, several months, and no doctors could figure out what was wrong. She was getting worse and worse. They finally took her to a hospital in Dallas, Texas, and this group of doctors diagnosed her with what was an incurable disease. They told the family there was nothing more that they could do, that uh, she probably only has a few weeks left to live, they said, but... If you bring her next week, we'll start her on this treatment in the hospital that'll probably give her an extra month or two to live, but it'll be in the hospital and at least you'll get to see her for you know, that extra bit of time. And so the parents agreed, they didn't know what to do. They were just distraught, of course, like any parent would be. And the doctors told them, they said, you need to ask your little girl what she wants to do this weekend because it's the last weekend that she'll 
be able to enjoy the world. So tell her you'll make her dream come true. Tell her you'll take her to Disney World. Do whatever you need to do. It's the last weekend you have, really, with your daughter. So they told the little girl. They didn't tell her all the details. They just said, listen, honey, um, next week we're going to be staying in the hospital for a long, long time. And so we want to take you and do something special. What do you want to do this weekend? The little girl said, well, I want to go to church this weekend. The parents said, we go to church every weekend, okay? This is a very special weekend. We need to do something that really just celebrates life. We'll take you to Disney World. We'll take you wherever you want to go. She said, I want to go to church. I want to see my friends at church. They said, honey, I don't think you understand. The doctor said this will be the last weekend that you really get to live and be out there. We're going to be in the hospital for a long, long time. What do you want to do this weekend? She said, Mom, Dad, I want to go to church. So just like they had done every weekend, they came to church. During the sermon, the little girl was back there with her class in children's church, and she told her class about her disease. She said, I'm very, very sick, and this is the last weekend that I'll get to see y'all. So all the kids in the class, they laid hands on her, and they prayed for her. That next Monday, the family flew into Dallas, Texas, the doctor said, we're going to run some tests, and then we'll start the treatment. They ran tests all day Monday, all night Monday. They said, we need to run some more tests tomorrow. Tuesday, all day, all night, more tests. Wednesday, all day, all night, more tests. Finally, they came in on Thursday. The three main doctors they had known brought a whole slew of doctors with them into the room. They said, we don't know how to tell you this. We don't know what's going on. We've ran every single test we could possibly run, and your daughter no longer has that disease anymore. Listen, there's healing in the presence of God. There's deliverance in the presence of God. There's faith in the presence of God's people. How do you think your child's going to make it without God in their life? If you'll put God first, he'll make sure his top priority is your children. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.